I will introduce today's special guest. Today marks the fifth occasion that we've been honored to have Stephen Harper speak here. The first time was back in January 2004 when he was an emerging presence on the political scene as the contender for the leadership of the newly united Conservative Party of Canada. The second time was in November of 2005 when, as leader of the Conservative Party, he spoke of restoring ethics and accountability to government at the height of the federal sponsorship scandal. In April 2006, he joined us as Canada's 22nd Prime Minister and again made the case for accountability in government, this time his own government. Last November, the Prime Minister again took this to the stage to deliver an update from Ottawa and highlight his government's throne speech. This time, Prime Minister Harper joins us on the day that his party releases its much-anticipated election platform and Canadians wait to hear how the federal leaders will respond to the turmoil in global financial markets. Stephen Harper has been at the forefront of national debate at every stage of his political career, and there have been many stages. He has been a federal candidate, an MP for the Reform Party, leader of the Canadian Alliance, leader of the opposition, leader of the Conservative Party, and now Prime Minister, and there was also a stint as the head of the National Citizens Coalition. An executive recruiter looking at his work history might conclude that this is a guy who likes to be in charge and who can't hold down a job. <laughs> but it's not until you read Stephen Harper's Facebook entry that you realize how truly eclectic he is. Many of us know he is a huge hockey fan, but it turns out he is also keen on curling. Perhaps the sequel to the book he is now writing on the early history of professional hockey will be a book on his other favorite ice sport. We also learn that he's an avid karaoke singer and an accomplished self-taught piano player. But by his own admission, admission, politics has been the better career choice. And Mr. Harper has certainly excelled in politics. No predictions will be offered here about what voters will decide on October 14th. But if the past can offer a glimpse into the future, no one should underestimate the formidable political force that is Stephen Harper. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming to the podium today the Right Honourable Stephen Harper, Prime Minister of Canada. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. Bon après-midi, mesdames et messieurs. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, uh, Helen, for that uh, kind and wonderful introduction. I want to thank all the members, directors, and sponsors of the Canadian Club for having me here today and for having me, in fact, as Helen mentioned many times over the past few years, uh, the Canadian and Empire Clubs do a wonderful job of bringing uh, important public issues into public debate, and uh, I really do appreciate uh, the opportunity to be part of that. I would just like, if I could uh, begin today, you've heard uh, rumors of an election. I would, um, I would just like to, if I could, draw attention to a few of my colleagues uh, who are with me today. Uh, we have uh, from York Simcoe, our candidate, 
And the House Leader for the Government, Minister Peter Van Loen, is here. Where is Peter? From Simcoe, uh, from Simcoe Gray, Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs and International Trade and Sport, Helena Gorgeous, Georges is here. From Wellington, Halton Hills, Member of Parliament, Michael Chong. From Eglinton, Lawrence, Joe Oliver. From Trinity Spadina, Christine McGeer. From Brampton West, Kyle Seaback. From Toronto Danforth, Christina Perot. And of course, I would be very remiss if I did not mention the Member of Parliament from Whitby, Oshawa, the Minister of Finance, Jim Flaherty. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's always a pleasure for me to be back in Toronto, and I'm very pleased today to have the opportunity to speak to this joint gathering of the Canadian and Empire Clubs, especially at a time when Canadians are deciding who will lead their government and manage the Canadian economy during the coming years. At la suite des récents événements mondiaux, je tiens à présenter notre plan économique et financier visant à protéger les Canadiens et Canadiennes en cette période d'incertitude. Certains pensent que si un plan n'est pas entièrement nouveau, ce n'est pas un plan, mais un leadership prudent ne crée pas une stratégie économique pour les nouvelles télévisées du soir et ne recrée pas ses plans pour faire la une des journaux du lendemain. In the wake of recent global events, I want in particular to lay out our economic and fiscal plan to protect Canadians during a time of uncertainty. I do this knowing that there are some who are disappointed that for four weeks, as an incumbent government, we'll have to, uh, you'll have to make sure you get those brochures in your historic book of speakers. Um, I know there are some who are disappointed that for four weeks as an incumbent government, we have campaigned on a plan to move forward in the same direction instead of shifting to head somewhere else. That is the view that unless a plan is brand new, it's not a plan. But the truth is the opposite. If you are making it up in response to the latest news or the latest change in the stock market, then it is obvious you really don't have a plan. Prudent leadership does not set economic strategy for the nightly news or rewrite plans for the morning papers. On the contrary, as you know from your own business experience, the strengths of a plan are advanced preparation and consistent execution. You don't shift long-term plans for short-term considerations. And shareholders, like Canadians, expect to see results, not hear something new. In that spirit, the plan that I lay before you today is tested and true. En fait, on a une politique économique et financière cohérente depuis qu'on est entré en fonction. On, on a dit, dès le départ, qu'on fera les réductions fiscales abordables, qu'on réduirait le, la dette publique et qu'on garderait les dépenses sous contrôle et axées sur des résultats. In fact, we charted a consistent course on economic and fiscal policy since the day we took office. 
We said from the beginning we would make affordable tax reductions, reduce the public debt, and keep spending under control and focused on results. This realistic plan of action for the Canadian economy is built on four principles. Keeping our budget balanced, lowering taxes, keeping inflation down, and investing to ensure we continue to create the jobs of the future. And in three consecutive budgets, that is precisely what we have done. This approach reflects our clear conviction as Conservatives that low taxes, less debt, and controlled and effective spending at the national level are a big part of the key to the long-run success of any economy. And that... And that is our goal, not jumping into the latest doomsday predictions, but planning for the growth and prosperity of the Canadian economy for the benefit of working Canadian families now and into the future. It also happens to be, if you think about it, how hardworking families and entrepreneurial businesses themselves plan for success, spending on priorities, keeping their debt levels down, and making investments in the future for themselves and their children. Permettez-moi de revoir certaines des mesures prises au cours de la dernière année. Cette crise n'a pas commencé il y a deux semaines. Elle a démarré en août 2007 et depuis août 2007 en agit. Let me take a moment to recap some of our actions over the past year. This crisis did not begin two weeks ago. It began in August 2007. And since August of last year, and again in the past few weeks, we have been responding to what has transpired ahead of the curve. As an example, allow me to refer to what I said to the Economic Club of Toronto six months ago this very day. I quote, our export-driven economy is expected to grow more slowly over the next two years. The economic downturn in the U.S., the tighter credit market, global financial volatility, the falling American dollar all pose some serious challenges for us. Some sectors are already facing the consequences of this or of longer-term adjustment pressures. And though overall inflation remains low, rising costs of goods, of some goods, and in some parts of the country, are squeezing the budgets of some Canadian families." Unquote. Quand on dit que les bases de notre économie sont différentes de celles des États-Unis, on ne parle pas seulement des, de, de statistiques économiques. On parle aussi du fait qu'on a réagi à ces problèmes avant et de façon plus efficace que les États-Unis. When we say that the fundamentals are, of our economy are different than those of the U.S. economy, we are not referring only to some different economic statistics. We are referring also to the fact that we have identified and responded to these problems earlier and better than has the United States. For example, in the United States, they entered this period already running enormous deficits and adding to their debt. Their fiscal stimulus package earlier this year added further to that debt, and it was short-term in nature. In Canada, we have kept our budget balanced, and we have been paying down debt. And last fall, months before Washington did anything, we responded with tax relief, $60 billion of broad-based tax relief for consumers, families, and businesses, and we did it without going into deficit. Our tax action is long-term in nature, especially on the business side, 
and as fiscal stimulus, it was actually proportionately larger than the American package. In the United States, they are still responding to the fallout of the subprime mortgage mess. In Canada, we acted early over the past year. We acted earlier to further strengthen our banking, disclosure, transparency, and regulations. We acted earlier to trim excesses in the mortgage market by reducing the 40-year mortgage to 35 years and requiring a minimum down payment of 5% for new government-backed mortgages. And we acted earlier through legislation to give the Bank of Canada additional tools to respond to the credit and liquidity crises as they have done this week. And due to these actions, we are not in a position of having to bail out our financial sector. So when some wonder, in the wake of recent events, why we haven't thrown together a new plan, the reply, of course, is that the plan on which we have been acting is the plan. In fact, the very reason we call it a plan is because action is planned before it is needed. Et comme, et comme le dit le dicton, il ne pleuvait pas quand Noé a construit son arche. Et quand la pluie est venue, Noé n'a pas paniqué et il n'a pas changé de bateau. As the saying goes, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark, which is why when the rain came, Noah didn't need to panic and he didn't need to switch boats. Making investments, creating jobs, let me just talk about this. I mentioned that one of the principles of our plan is making investments to create the jobs of the future. This is a fundamental difference between our approach and that of the opposition parties. La façon dont l'opposition relèverait les défis de l'économie mondiale est de donner de l'argent chaque fois qu'il y a un problème, de supposer qu'un chaque problème a besoin d'une réponse immédiate sur la forme d'une intervention ou d'une subvention coûteuse à court terme. On n'a pas fait ça pendant deux ans et demi et on ne va pas commencer à le faire aujourd'hui. The way the opposition would cope with the challenges presented by the global economy is simply to throw money at them, to throw money at every problem, to suggest that every problem demands an immediate response through short-term, high-cost intervention or subsidization. We didn't do that for the past two and a half years, and we are not about to do that going forward. Let re re me remind you about the kind of investment investments we are making. Notre plan d'infrastructure chantier Canada. Under our Building Canada infrastructure plan, we are undertaking the largest investments in national infrastructure in this country in over half a century. Over the next seven years, we are investing $33 billion. We have agreements signed with every province, including gas tax transfers to municipalities that we have made permanent. Formation et éducation post-secondaire. We've invested heavily in education and training, including an increase of 40% in transfers to the provinces for post-secondary education. We also introduced assistance to address skill shortages in the trades and tax relief for those who hire apprentices. We also announced our intention in this campaign to increase funding up to $50 million per year for programs directed specifically at supporting older workers who need help in transitioning in the workforce. Recherche et développement. We are pursuing a new national science and technology strategy focused on successfully commercializing research and development, the area where Canada has fallen short in the past. In fact, I will announce another specific large project in this area before the campaign is over. Des initiatives propres à certains secteurs. We are providing incentives to transform our manufacturing sectors. We are not trying to bail out failing companies. Instead, 
we have created time-limited tax incentives to stimulate the deployment of new machinery and equipment. Canada can maintain a competitive manufacturing sector, but to do so in the modern global economy, we must move to higher, more capital-intensive end of the, of the industry, and that is what we are trying to help business achieve. I'm pleased to note today that our platform contains another measure along these lines, a gouvernement conservateur réélu va aider le secteur manufacturier en abolissant des droits sur un vaste gamme de machinerie et d'équipements importés. Ça représente des économies de près de 350 millions de dollars qui vont encourager une meilleure efficience par des investissements technologiques. A re-elected conservative government will enhance our support for the manufacturing sector by abolishing tariffs on a wide range of imported machinery and equipment. This will result in nearly $350 million in savings for Canadian manufacturers. Again, this measure will encourage increased opportunity for manufacturing through investment in technology. On a aussi créé des programmes dédiés pour stimuler des investissements privés dans l'innovation dans dans les secteurs comme l'automobile et l'aérospatiale. Aujourd'hui, avec le lancement de notre, notre plateforme, j'annonce notre intention d'augmenter le financement de ces programmes de 200 millions de dollars au cours des quatre prochaines années. We have also created dedicated programs, excuse me. We've also created dedicated programs that leverage private sector investment in strategic sectors such as automobile and aerospace. Today, with the launch of our platform, I am announcing our intention to expand these programs by $200 million a year each in the auto and aerospace sectors over the next four years. Let's Let me be clear, these will not be bailouts of yesterday's problems. We will support the development and deployment of new technology, and these programs are designed to ensure that taxpayers' funds are repaid. La Fiducie Nationale pour le Développement Communautaire. We've initiated the $1 billion Community Development Trust Fund targeted to rural Canada, where single industry towns have been hard hit by problems in specific sectors such as forestry. Once again, we are working with other levels of government to respond to infrastructure needs, worker retraining, and community development plans, not business bailouts. Je devrais aussi mentionner qu'on annonce aujourd'hui une prolongation des incitatives par action accréditative pour l'industrie minière. I should mention along these lines an additional item from our conservative platform that we are announcing today, and that is our intention to extend, once again, the super flow-through share provisions for the mining sector. Et dernièrement, la stratégie globale sur le commerce international. Finally, we're pursuing our global commerce strategy. Canada was one of the first countries to sign a modern bilateral trade deal. I'm referring, of course, to the one with the United States in 1988. Yet when this government came to office, Canada had such deals with only five other countries in the entire world, perhaps one of the most pathetic records of any major trading nation. This government has already concluded negotiations on new deals with Peru, Colombia, Jordan, and the four nations of the European Free Trade Association. We are also actively engaged in a number of other active, in another, a number of other active discussions and negotiations. Let me just mention one interesting piece of news here. 
Earlier in our campaign, I indicated our commitment to adopt certain recommendations from the Wilson Competition Panel, including opening up foreign ownership requirements in the airline and uranium sectors. This commitment is, of course, part of our platform. Si notre gouvernement est réélu, cet engagement va permettre au Canada de conclure les négociations avec l'Union européenne sur un accord ciel ouvert dans l'industrie aérienne. Should our government be, erect, be reelected, this commitment should enable Canada to rapidly complete negotiations with the European Union on an open skies agreement for the airline sector. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope this makes clear that we have and are pursuing a considered plan to invest in the future productivity, competitiveness, and job creation capacity of the Canadian economy. Still, I want to go back to the fiscal fundamentals that underline these. Balanced budgets, lower taxes, and controlled spending. La, la plateforme qu'on présente aujourd'hui va coûter moins de 3 milliards de dollars par année. Les engagements des partis de l'opposition coûtent au moins 10, 10 fois plus cher que les nôtres. Les plateformes des partis de l'opposition sont écrites dans un monde économique imaginaire, un endroit où l'argent pousse dans les arbres, où les dettes n'ont pas à être remboursées et où les taxes et les impôts sont bons pour l'économie. The platform we put out today has a fully implemented cost of less than $3 billion per year. That figure takes into account both our planned tax reductions and planned spending increases combined, over and above things we were already doing. Ladies and gentlemen, the commitments in the platforms of the opposition parties are at least 10 times larger than ours. 10 times. Numbers of that size, it is common sense, would mean raising taxes and running a deficit on a large scale and overnight. That would be wrong for the Canadian economy, wrong now, and with worse consequences in the future. In fact, In fact, the other parties are calling for increased taxes on both individuals and businesses, including the imposition of a new carbon tax. To propose a massive increase in taxing and spending under today's economic circumstances, to propose in particular that we hit the energy and commodity sectors hardest just when their market valuations are falling is not just wrong. It shows that the platforms of the opposition parties are written for an economic fantasy land, a place where money grows on trees, debts don't have to be paid back, and taxes are good for the economy. What the opposition essentially proposes is to hammer any sector making money, subsidize any sector in difficulty, and throw away the solid fiscal credentials that Canada has built. This cannot be excused as proving they care or wanting to do more. When people are looking at their stock portfolios and seeing the drop, how can you tell them that your solution is to come in and hit their savings with harder taxes? It doesn't make any sense. It is a recipe for disaster, nothing more, nothing less, and that is not the direction this government is going to go. Permettez-moi d'être clair. 
Un gouvernement conservateur ne va, ne va pas augmenter le fardeau fiscal, on ne va pas imposer une taxe sur le carbone, on ne va pas annuler les réductions fiscales des entreprises, on ne fera pas de déficit, on va dépenser selon nos moyens, c'est simple. L'alternative de l'opposition n'est pas un plan, c'est la conséquence d'une panique totale. Et ce gouvernement ne va pas paniquer en une période d'incertitude. So let me be crystal clear. A conservative government will not be raising taxes. We will not impose a carbon tax. We will not cancel planned tax reductions for business. We will not be running a deficit. We will keep our spending within our means. It is that simple. The alternative is not a plan. The alternative the opposition is offering is just the consequence of complete panic and this government is not going to panic at a time of economic uncertainty. Mesdames et Messieurs, je vais maintenant vous parler des réductions fiscales. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me just conclude by saying something briefly about our tax reductions. As I said earlier, this government has proposed broad-based tax relief. It's implemented it. Due to a host of income tax measures and cuts to the GST, the typical working family in Canada is saving more than $3,000 per year in federal taxes since we took office. That has been important to sustaining consumer confidence and given some, rec and, and given some recent cost pressures. And of course, it is also fair for hardworking, hard-pressed Canadian families. This government has also been pursuing aggressive tax reduction for business. In fact, by 2012, Canada will have the lowest regime of business taxation in the entire G7. Our plan makes some additional commitments to both personal and business taxation. But the measure I want to specifically highlight is the tax-free savings account. À compter du 1er janvier, les Canadiens et les Canadiens vont pouvoir investir dans le compte d'épargne libre d'impôt. Le plus gros outil épargne personnel depuis la création des REER il y a plus de 50 ans. Les Canadiens et les Canadiens vont pouvoir faire des économies que le gouvernement ne pourra jamais plus taxer. Starting January 1st, Canadians will be able to use the tax-free savings account, the biggest personal savings incentive since the creation of the RSP more than 50 years ago. Canadians will be able to set aside savings that the government will never be able to tax again because the money can be withdrawn at any time without penalty and without any loss to lifetime savings room. The savings and the earnings can be used flexibly to buy a new car, home reservation, trip of a lifetime, anything else. Obviously, this is important for individuals and families. Mais pensez un moment à l'importance de cela dans une perspective macroéconomique à long terme. Le puissant incitative à créer une réserve croissante d'épargne nationale. Comparez ça à la situation qui prévaut aux États-Unis avec un marché de crédit qui croule dans le poids d'un secteur mobilier en déroute. Think for a moment also about how important this is from a long-term macroeconomic macro perspective. The creation of a powerful incentive to lead to a growing pool of national savings. Compare that with the situation south of the border, with a credit market buckling under the weight of an overextended housing sector. All the incentive there has been to borrow against equity and real estate holdings leading to a housing market bubble that burst with nothing to fall back on except, except foreclosure and bankruptcy. By contrast, our tax-free savings accounts 
we'll create a new pool of investment capital that can be used to grow our economy and create new jobs. It will start small, just as the RRSPs did. But a generation from now, I predict that this country will see the difference. Much higher personal savings rates and much lower rates of government taxation on investment. Mesdames et Messieurs, malgré les difficultés actuelles, je crois au plus gros potentiel économique du Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, notwithstanding current market difficulties, I believe in Canada's much bigger economic potential. And I believe that if governments lift the tax load off Canadians, free them from the debt burden, and focus the spending of their tax dollars on things that actually make their lives and their economy better, then there truly is no limit to what our country can achieve. Canada has reached a fork in the road. That's what this election is all about. As I had been cautioning for a long time, we are into a period of economic uncertainty and slower growth. It has happened before. The fork in the road is whether, under these circumstances, we will make choices that will worsen the problems for the sake of the short term, or whether we will make choices that allow us to exploit our potential in the future. Some are suggesting we go back to the old ways. Their alternative to our plan is enormous spending, leading to increases and leading to deficits, higher taxes that would kill jobs and investment, a carbon tax that would raise prices, various forms of bailout and protectionism, and a promise to spend 30 days developing an economic plan only after they get elected. That is not a credible plan. It is a menu of all the wrong ideas at the worst possible time. I don't believe that's what Canada needs, and I don't believe that's what Canadians want. But if we do not win re-election, that is what the next parliament will do. And if we do not win re-election, it will make Bob Ray's Ontario look like a boomtown. <laughs> On... On October 14th, Canadians will choose between our real plan to protect the economy amid growing global uncertainty or the panic promises of an opposition with no real plan and with policies that would take our country and our economy in the wrong direction. Si on reste sur la, sur la voie des allègements fiscaux, de la réduction de la dette et des dépenses prudentes, le Canada va sortir du ralentissement économique mondial plus fort, meilleur et plus prospère que jamais. If we choose to stay the course of lower taxes, lower debt, and prudent spending, Canada will come out of the current international downturn stronger, better, and more prosperous than ever before. Thank you again for your invitation and your attention. Merci beaucoup. À la prochaine. Prime Minister, I will now call on Joanne MacArthur, President of the Empire Club of Canada, to offer official thanks on behalf of both clubs. Madam President, distinguished guests, fellow members and guests of the Empire Club and uh, Canadian Club, I have the honour to express your formal thanks to Prime Minister Harper. 
It has been a long tradition for leaders to address the Canadian and the Empire Clubs, over a century in fact. We've been honoured to have you address this group five times, three times as Prime Minister. I know that you're a fan of Canada's national pastime, and by that I don't mean flipping between the political debates on CBC and CNN. I mean hockey. So we are hoping that you have the Great One's ability not to skate to the puck, but to skate to where the puck is going to be. And for that, and for that you're going to need all of your skills as an economist. We live in very interesting times. It's a flat world, and Canada is not immune to a global recession, regardless of how solid our fundamentals are compared to others. We need short-term solutions and a long-term vision. Elections are time for serious policy debates, and we thank you for adding your voice to that debate today, Prime Minister. Thank you, Joanne. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers Television in the days to come. Regrettably, the Prime Minister is unable to stay for lunch, so let me take a moment to thank you once more for joining us today. Thank you, Prime Minister. <laughs>